You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I think teenage girls should have access to quote unquote sex toys. I've written about this in the column where someone will write in and say that their daughter was using a vibrating toothbrush or some janky ass piece of shit in the house that buzzes a little bit as a vibrator or using something from the fruit and veg drawer as a penetration toy, as a dildo. And they wanted to know what to do about it. And my answer is always buy your daughter a fucking sex toy. I mean, when you think about it, Young men, boys who want to experiment with penetration toys, what penetration might feel like with their own penises, only have to make a fist. Whereas young girls who aren't encouraged to masturbate have to make do. They can't just make a fist and get it in their vagina. Uh, they have to find something that they can experiment with, and it's healthy and good for young people to experiment. Uh, young women also with sex toys, it can really decrease anxiety around that first sexual encounter if it's also not the very first time you've had something in you. Lord knows that the first time a boy gets to partnered intercourse, it's not the first time he's had his dick in something. He's had his dick in his right hand or his left hand or hollowed out watermelon. For years he's been doing this. He is comfortable with penetration kind of sort of what it might feel like. He's not nervous about penetration and what that might feel like because he's been doing it. And I think that girls should do it. But you know what? When I tell people that maybe they should buy teenage girls, minors weren't allowed to shop at Babeland uh, in New York and Seattle or Smitten Kitten in Minnesota or Come As You Are in Toronto. Please support Come As You Are. They're having kind of a crisis. It's good to have your local independent sex positive sex toy store in your community. And if you're listening in Toronto, please get down to Come As You Are and buy a couple of dildos or vibrators or sex toys or paddles or whatever. Anyway. It's good to have those things and you know, young women, they can't go into these t stores. So I have advised parents, moms, maybe a sibling, a sister to get that youngster who's curious about sex toys, that sex toy that they're curious about wanting. You know who you don't want getting you a sex toy? Getting your 14-year-old daughter a sex toy? Her youth pastor. Regular readers of my blog, people who go to slog.thestranger.com and read the group blog here at The Stranger, uh, which features my writing and the writings of Pulitzer Prize winner Eli Sanders and Dominic Holden and Bethany Clement and the whole crazy staff here at The Stranger, are familiar with a weekly item I write called Youth Pastor Watch. A long time ago when I first started blogging, I would just throw up anything that – uh, creepy minister or pastor or priest did and it was too much. I had to create some sort of artificial limit or the whole blog would be swamped by rapey priests and rapey ministers. So I limited it to one little slice of the priestly class and just said, I'm just going to write about the youth pastors. And there are a lot of rapey youth pastors out there. Who knew? As I've said a million times, if kids got raped at Denny's as often as they get raped at church, it would be illegal to take your fucking kids to Denny's. And you would be charged with negligence and thrown in jail if you drop your kids off at Denny's and left, which is what people do when they take their kids to youth pastor-run events. Anyway, this youth pastor uh, has pleaded guilty to sex offense in connection with buying sex toys for a teenage girl. Robert Eric Warren reports I-13 on your side news. 
in Yuma, Arizona, faces a maximum sentence of up to one year in prison plus three years probation. He, he has been fired by the church and under his plea agreement, he had to write a letter of apology to the victim and the victim's family. It all started in September 2012 when the youth pastor was accused of buying sex toys for a 14-year-old girl and taking them to her house when her parents were not at home. Creepy, creepy youth pastor. There's one thing though that kind of bothers – you know, I think this is appropriate. These charges perhaps are appropriate. I do think that you know, a 14-year-old girl who, wa- who wants a sex toy should be perhaps provided with one, a simple starter dildo or vibrator, whatever it is she is curious about experiencing, whatever she wants, by a sister, by a parent, not by a creepy, creepy youth pastor who's dropping by your house when you're not at home to gift sex toys to your teenage daughters. But I do have a problem with uh, one of the charges uh, against – Creepy, creepy Robert Eric Warren, youth pastor of Yuma, Arizona. The state of Arizona is charging him with one count of furnishing harmful materials to a minor. I don't think a sex toy is a harmful material unless it's dipped in ricin or something. It's not going to really hurt anybody. It's an inappropriate thing for this creepy motherfucker to provide to a 14-year-old girl who is not his own daughter – but it isn't harmful material. Sex toys are not harmful materials. Not in Arizona, not in New York, not in Canada, not anywhere. Um, the context makes this creepy and perhaps harmful. When your youth pastor is playing sex toy Santa Claus, that'll fuck your head up right there. That'll put the zap on your head. No one wants to pull a dildo out of a drawer and think youth pastor. No one wants to make that association or that link. So it's appropriate this guy was arrested, but Arizona, can you please tweak the laws so we're not calling these harmful materials? They will not harm anyone. No dildo, no vibrator. Unless you got one of those steel-heavy enjoy uh, sex toys, which are amazing but also could double as murder weapons, you really will not be harmed by a vibrator or a dildo, even at age 14. Your calls after this. Dan. I'm a 28-year-old woman, I guess, straight, kind of, a little bit queer, and I'm in a relationship with a man who also happens to be 28. He's always been open about um, being bisexual, um, and because, you know, I'm this kinky girl who watches a lot of gay porn, I find the idea of him being with men really hot. We've considered the idea of opening up our relationship because of this and the sex has never been terrible but my drive is much higher than his and we've talked about it but usually it's just dirty talk in bed and for the most part I'm satisfied Uh, a lot of mutual masturbation a lot of blowjobs and I'm very GGG so it works but I've noticed that over the course of our relationship he has capered off going down on me and touching my vagina all together, and it's pretty much non-existent. I didn't really give it too much thought, again, because everything has been pretty satisfying, and the emotional connection is amazing. He's my best friend, he's my partner, and my family, and 
he tells me the same thing. So I'm sure you know where this is going. But um, last night we were talking about the open relationship thing and the oral sex thing. And I told him that I want that from other partners and that's what I could seek out in the open relationship. He got very frustrated and upset and he sat in silence for a while before he said, I guess I just don't like pussy. He was really emotional. He started crying and as we're holding each other, he says, am I gay? And then it all came together and it all kind of made sense. So we stayed up all night talking and crying and he confided in me a lot of things that make sense and um, put the whole thing together. But he still says he's not sure. He doesn't like anal and he doesn't like a lot of other things, but he's not attracted to the thing that I have, my vagina. And so my question is, and it sounds silly admitting, um, is it possible for a gay man or a relatively gay identified man and a sort of straight kind of pervert woman, um, is it possible for those two people to maintain a healthy companionship sort of relationship without the sexual aspect? As I mentioned, everything else is great. He's home. It's that feeling you get when you close your eyes and there's that stillness and it's just perfect. And I love him truly and I want him to be happy. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I don't feel frustrated. I'm sad for him. My heart aches for him, but I'm afraid of losing that amazing connection that we have. And so I just, I want to know if it's insane to think that it's possible to have that kind of companionship without the sex and have an open relationship where we just get our boyfriends on the side. You know, have you heard of something like that working and working well? Or am I just a beard and I haven't realized it yet? Back in November of last year, the New York Times had an obituary for Martin Richards, who was a producer, a Broadway producer who produced Sweeney Todd and on the 20th century. Uh, he's kind of a big deal and he was a married man. He had a wife, Mary Lay Johnson, who was a Johnson & Johnson heiress for the lotion company. And they were very happily married for decades and Martin Richards was gay and his wife knew it. Here's Bruce Weber writing in the New York Times, uh, Martin Richards' obit. He met Miss Johnson in 1975 toward the end of her troubled second marriage and they formed a business partnership, the producer's circle. She knew he was gay but she had been dominated and abused by men her whole life and Mr. Richards was protective of her. Eventually, they lived in separate apartments in the same building but by all accounts, the marriage was a happy one. So this in my – by my estimation, this was a successful marriage. These two people loved each other. They cared for each other. They looked out for each other. But sex wasn't the beginning and ending of their marriage. It wasn't what defined their marriage. There wasn't a sexual connection obviously in this marriage. It was about love and care and compassion and companionship and it was a happy companionate marriage. Can you have a happy companionate marriage with this guy? I don't know and I don't know why you would want at your young age to settle for that quite yet. Uh, it sounds like he's so devastated that you don't feel like you're free to leave him in this state uh, and so you're trying to figure out a way where you can make everybody happy and you can have guys on the side and he can too and you guys can stay together. But you don't I, – I think you don't have to go there yet. You haven't had your two failed marriages yet. I really feel that at your age and his age, your young ages – that you still should be out there looking for someone with whom you can have a sexual and romantic and familial relationship where you can find that connection. 
Uh, I believe in companionate marriages. I really do. I do believe though that they're best later in life and they're better often when they're a fallback for both parties in that marriage uh, and sort of a concession to the fact that you found love but you didn't find it all in one person. I think at your age, you should still kind of be holding out for not it all, not the one. There is no one as we said a million times in the show. There's, there's Mr. 0.67 that you round the fuck up to one. And this guy sounds like he's gay to me. He's your best friend. He's your partner. He's your family. And I was listening to your call. I muttered out loud, he's your sister. He's not your boyfriend. And I don't think liking pussy is setting a bar too high at 28 to be in a relationship with a woman. And what he's doing to you is kind of unfair and very emotionally manipulative. He needs to get healthy and accept himself about being gay if indeed he is gay. And he does sound like he's gay and he needs to accept himself. And it's not your job to build that bridge for him or make it any easier for him or be his beard for the rest of your life. And again, I don't think at 28 – you're a Johnson & Johnson heiress coming off her second failed marriage with an abusive asshole who might want to be with a kind, considerate, compassionate, loving gay man in a sexless marriage. I don't think you should settle for that. Not yet. Maybe in 30 years if you and he are both still single, you can fall back into your old pattern, your old relationship. But right now at 28, you deserve a man in your life, in your home, in your bed who wants to eat your pussy, who likes vagina. That's not asking too much of a 20-something guy involved with a woman. Really, it's not. You deserve – and I want to say better because he sounds like a fine human being. You deserve something else. You deserve not him. You deserve a straight or genuinely bi guy who is into you and loves you and loves your pussy too. Go find him. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old straight female. And I live with my boyfriend of two years, and I love him very much. And um, we have an awesome relationship in most ways. My question is um, about how to react to something that just came to light for me. He travels often for work, just in this area, places he can drive um, to see clients. And um, recently, when he was about to leave, I tried to have sex with him for a few nights in a row, and he kind of wasn't interested, which, you know, is fine, but I was confused because I knew that he was going to be going away for a week. And usually when he's going to go away for a week, we kind of stock up on sex, so to speak. Um, and he just, you know, wasn't really in the mood for a while leading up to that week. So I did something awful. And while he was away, I snooped in his computer. I snooped in his email, which he was checking and using while he was away on his trip. And I saw that he had recently signed up for a website called RevMaps which shows you where different um, happy ending massage parlors are located and you can leave reviews of what the service is like and all that. Obviously, this really upset me because it implied that while he was away, he had decided to get a happy ending massage um, and was using this website to find places he could do that. So my question is, how should I react to this? It's upsetting to me. I don't like it. It seems secretive, but I don't want to admit to snooping in his email and confront him about it, especially because if it's something that he kind of came forth with, I wouldn't necessarily think of it as cheating. You know, if it was something he was into, I find it kind of hot, the whole massage thing. Um, I just don't like the secretiveness and that he was rejecting me for sex before he left um, because apparently he had a plan that he wasn't going to need to stock up because he would get his 
rocks off um, with a masseuse or um, a female massage therapist. So is your boyfriend back from his business trip yet? Yes. Have you talked about it yet? No. I think you should talk about it. Surprise. You know, the, the fact that you offered sex right before he left and it didn't work for him in that moment, that doesn't mean he was saving up his cum for a Jack Shack experience on the road. Really, it doesn't. Um, maybe at that moment he wasn't into it. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was distracted. He was on his way out of the house. But he was also thinking about maybe going to see somebody for a happy ending massage. Um, that you snooped. I think snooping happens in relationships and if you find evidence while you're snooping that something's being done behind your back that you kind of have a right to know about, I think the snooping is retroactively permitted. It's certainly the lesser sin, right? Okay. And to know – for him to find out at that moment that you confessed to snooping and that was wrong and I am sorry but look what I found and now you need to confess and you need to say sorry and for you to then turn around at that moment and say, you know, if you told me, I actually think it's kind of hot. What, will he not? Will he not at that moment think, "Thank God she snooped," because I just won the girlfriend lottery? Well, yes, I think he would think that in the moment. But the more I've been thinking about it, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's really hot. I think I think it would be hot if he were honest about it up front. But the fact that he was hiding it from me kind right. of negates the hot possibility. Right. So for you to that say makes- that. That you know, it's not. I don't think this is hot. And this pissed me off. If you had told me, I kind of would have thought it was exciting for you to have this sexual adventure. That's totally safe. That's just a hand job. You know, if you'd involved me in the planning, or you'd called me before and after and told me about it and involved me, so I was kind right. of involved in this sexual adventure that you were on. I would find that arousing. And a lot of people who are you know in slightly monogamous, slightly open relationships find this to be true that the outside limited minor outside contact actually fuels their sexual connection with their partner so long as they mm-hmm. use it that way too so long as they're you know getting benefits on both sides from it so long as there's something in it for you too so why right. not tell him like I'm a little pissed and a little not turned on by this if you told me I think I would have been okay with it and I think it would have been kind of sexy and fun to hear about and to talk about while we were fucking and fuel our thing too right. how is he then not right. going to feel like I haven't won the girlfriend lottery <laughs> Only if he's too embarrassed by it. I mean, let him be. He should be embarrassed. And why not embarrass him? <laughs> why? Excuse me. Yeah. He he went out of town and he had a sexual experience. Perhaps you know who knows whether he was just idly curious about it and dinking around. It's one of the things we know about Craigslist and OkCupid okay and everywhere else. There's so many fakers online who are just sort of thinking about what they could do or might want to do and harmlessly flirting and then not going through with any of it, right? We wouldn't hear about so many fakers on these sites if everybody there meant it. So if your husband or girlfriend or boyfriend took out an ad on Craigslist, that's not automatically proof that they were going to do it. If they were looking at ads on Craigslist, not automatically proof they were going to do it. Even if they responded to one or two, not a proof that they were going to do it. Otherwise, we wouldn't hear so many complaints about people who don't show up, don't follow through, you know, engage people in chats and then disappear. So the fact that he looked into it doesn't mean he did it. Yeah, maybe that's what he'll say. But for you to say, let's put all our cards on the table. I snooped a little bit and Dan Savage says retroactively, my <laughs> snooping is permitted because I found this. Going forward, let's have a more open, honest relationship. And I actually think this would have been kind of hot if you had involved me in the planning, the thinking about, the talking about. Yeah, I mean, I would have gone too. That's <laughs> I, it's the type of thing that I would if we went together and like we're both getting massages of some kind. 
along these lines, I would be really interested in that as well. And he, he kind of knows that. Okay, well then say that to him. Say that to him. Yeah. You need to put these cards on the table because if he's the kind of guy who his thing is he wants to have this secret second life apart and away from you that he keeps from you that now is Jack Shackery but maybe in the future could be something that actually puts you at some kind of risk. If he can't do this stuff, have his sexual adventures and involve you and share them with you and make sure you're comfortable and okay with them – then he's not the right guy for you. And better to find that out at two right. years than at 15 years and a kid or two. Totally, yeah. No, I agree. You're right. This is, the, this is the danger of snooping. You might find something out that you can't unfind out. You know what you know and you have to do something about it and deal with it. He's going out again on Wednesday. <laughs> well, talk to him about it. Talk to him about it. He might be embarrassed. He might feel ashamed. He might say nothing happened. I was just was idle curiosity. Don't link it to him rejecting you the day before because that could have nothing to do with it, right? Okay. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to get a hand job from some stranger in a jack shack. Therefore, I have no desire for my partner at the moment. That's not how it works when you're a guy. Right. You know? <laughs> Semen, we just keep making right. more. It's not how it works when you're a woman either. But I, before we let you go, you need to apologize to massage therapists out there. Oh, what did I say that would offend them? You said, you described someone giving hand jobs in a massage parlor as a massage therapist. And the massage therapist, every time we do that, they blow up the phones because a licensed massage oh, therapist no. <laughs> is, is not a sex worker who gives hand jobs to businessmen on trips. So you have to apologize to not. massage therapists and say you meant sex worker. I'm sorry, massage therapist. I meant sex workers. <laughs> Good luck. Give us a call. Let us know how it goes when you when you uh, talk to the boyfriend about it. Thank you. I will. <laughs> Bye. Hey, Dan. Um, sorry, I sound a bit nervous. Um, I need some help with the relationship that I'm currently in. I'm a 21-year-old male. She's a 20-year-old female. We've been dating now for about nine, ten months. Our relationship is, is fun in terms of we, we enjoy each other's company and, you know, we're happy when we spend time together, but it kind of needs to end in terms of sort of a long-term relationship because we don't really agree on any sort of the bigger picture stuff, you know, in terms of religion and politics. Like, you know, I'm about to go to grad school in in science to do research, and she basically told me that uh, she believes the kind of research that I'm hoping to dedicate my life to is an abomination um, to God. And so, you know, that that sort of thing isn't really helpful for any sort of long-term relationship. So I think we probably need to end it. The issue is, she is a college dropout that she didn't have enough finances to continue past her first year. So now she's working, you know, a full-time job, a minimum wage job to try to, to, to save up some more money so she can go back to college, which I fully support her in. Uh, and that's pretty much what her life is now is just working, living at a shitty apartment with hardly any money for food and gas and working her ass off as much as possible. And the issue is I see a lot of sort of depressive symptoms in her. And she's alluded to, you know, like suicide a few times. I'm sort of concerned that if I were to to leave, that she's already in a bad state, and that that might sort of be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back and sends her over the edge to do, you know, something stupid. And I I don't want that for her. I really care about her, and I, you know, I like her. I don't want her to suffer any more than necessary. Um, and I know the the sort of immediate thing is to oh well, you know, talk with one of her family members or one of her friends, get them to help her out. The thing is, she doesn't really have much of that. Um, her mom is a drug addict who she doesn't talk to except like once a year when her mom tries to extort money out of her. Her dad, who divorced her mom when she was like one, 
uh, basically wishes that she didn't even exist and so doesn't give her any support at all. So I'm really her only emotional support in that way, and I don't want to kick that out from underneath her. She doesn't have any health insurance or anything, so she can't seek professional help on it, on this issue, um, even if she'd be willing to. So I really I have no idea what to do. I'm stuck, and I just want to do the right thing by her and by me so she could help. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. I realize I'm supposed to be Mr. Suicide Prevention Dude because of the It Gets Better project, but someone who threatens to kill himself or herself if their partner leaves them is essentially taking themselves hostage. And my POV is we don't negotiate with terrorists in that sort of a situation. You have to set that aside and you have to give yourself a break. Um, if you do leave that person and you have a right to leave anyone for any reason and I'm sorry, from what you describe your girlfriend being like, irrespective of her family history and all these things that you are not responsible for, this relationship isn't going anywhere and you need to end it. And she knows that it isn't going anywhere and she knows that eventually you are going to end it. Hence the threat of suicide being thrown on the table. Knowing all that, you have to end it as carefully and compassionately as you possibly can. You have to not let her down easy, as they say, you know, that sort of gradual letting down that people sense and it makes people go crazier and crazier and become more desperate and clinging because they know it's being wound down and ended. You need to end it directly, clearly. You need to, if you can afford it, ease the transition. If she lives with you, help her out financially. Like what would you pay to have this woman out of your life? Would you pay first, last and a deposit to have this woman out of your life? And if you can swing it, why not pay it? And give her what assistance you can but tell her clearly that it is over and you are ending this relationship and you are very sorry. And gather around her whatever friends she might have. And if she has no friends and she has no family that can be there for her, threatening to harm herself if you leave is just not OK. It's just a bullshit, manipulative, emotionally abusive tactic that you probably learned from her fucked up family members to keep you there. And the question you need to ask yourself is are you going to stay with her for 50 fucking years for the rest of your goddamn life because of this threat that she made? And if you leave and if you've done everything you possibly could do to make the leave taking as gentle as you can and you've been as considered as you can and, and as giving as you can as you ended it, and she does harm yourself. You have to realize you were the last person she sat on in a horrible fucking game of musical chairs where the music finally ran out and she finally self-destructed and you just happened to be the one that she was standing with or next to or last with when that happened. And you, that is not your fault. You did not set her up for suicide or this kind of failure. It sounds like her family and the way she was raised and how she was abused set her up for this failure. And you can't even if you end it, which you know you have to do – and you end it as gently and calmly and givingly as you can and she – God forbid, she offs herself. It wasn't your fault. Hi, Dan. I'm calling with a question about women going to gay bars, specifically gay strip clubs. Last night, I was out with a group of nine girls celebrating a bachelorette party and we ended up going to a gay strip club. I live in a medium-sized Pacific Northwest city, and there are only two male strip clubs that I know of, and one of them is way out of the downtown. A friend had recommended we go to this club because she had recently been there and said it was really fun. She had also gone with a bachelorette party. When we got to the club, the bride-to-be, who was drunk but not belligerent, started getting really into it, 
probably too into it for the vibe of this club, people weren't really dancing and seemed more interested in watching the dancers and meeting other patrons. Then a man who introduces the dancers over the loudspeaker made an announcement saying, just a reminder, this club is for gay men to meet and enjoy other gay men. No one wants to see a fat girl scream. A lot of guys started laughing and pointing at our friend. She didn't hear it, but the rest of us did. I understand that she shouldn't have been making a scene, and that was our fault, but it seemed unnecessarily cruel to say that over the loudspeaker. My question for you is this. Was it inappropriate for us to be there? There are hundreds of strip clubs in our city where you can watch women dance, but only two where men do. We just wanted to have fun and watch hot men get naked, just like everyone else in the bar. Were we out of line? Thanks, Dan. The announcer was an asshole. What he said was completely bullshit assholery uh, for which he should be slapped. Your friend, however, was an asshole and was behaving badly herself. You say we just wanted to watch – you say we just wanted to have fun and watch hot men get naked in a club. But it sounds like the bride-to-be was doing the bachelorette bullshit thing and thinking the whole world revolves around her. And you were in a gay bar. You were in a gay space where, as the announcer said, gay men go to meet other men. And she was carrying on, screaming and yelling, acting the fool, but also acting the star of the show. And I understand that when you're getting married, you are the star of your wedding. You are not the star of a gay strip club, right? You're a guest at a gay strip club. There's been problems at gay bars with bachelorette parties. Uh, Sidetracks in Chicago kicked off kind of a movement among gay bars. It's not a strip club. It's just a really great gay bar uh, in the gayborhood on Halstead Street in Chicago in Boystown. And a few years ago, they banned bachelorette parties because they were getting so many bachelorette parties on the weekend where girls were coming to go, oh, my gays, and scream and yell, wearing their penis necklaces and their penis headdresses and kind of not being very considerate or conscious of the fact that none of the gay people in this room, including many who are coupled because sidetracks in addition to being a fun pickup joint, I got picked up there myself when I was 18 years old, is kind of a bar where – just everybody goes to hang out, including coupled gay men and long-partnered gay men. People go to watch show tunes and music videos. It's a great place. But these girls, these bachelorettes, were screaming and yelling and swanning around thinking that all these gay guys were extras in their little show and they were rubbing it in their noses that, hey, I'm getting married and you fuckers can't. And the bar's patrons were getting pissed off and the bar's owners got pissed off and so they banned bachelorette parties because a lot of the bachelorettes who showed up, like your friend – were drunk, inconsiderate, self-centered, obnoxious assholes. Now, the guy who made the announcement at the club presumably was not drinking because he was on the job. He was working. So his assholery is less excusable than your friend's. Your friend was drunk and out of control. You guys, the soberer ones, if not sober, should have reined her shit in so that it didn't get to this point. And I'm not excusing what that announcer said. Total asshole move kind of gay misogynist guy sort of bullshit thing to say but let's put it in its context. Maybe you weren't the first bachelorette party there that weekend. Maybe you weren't even the first bachelorette party there that night and they just had it and kind of snapped and said something jerky to someone who was doing something jerky. Two wrongs don't make a right but I don't think anybody comes out of this smelling like a rose and coincidentally, I believe I was in your Pacific Northwest medium-sized city this weekend and I was at the other club where gay men go to see hot guys take off their clothes and there were a lot of women in that bar 
who were there with their gay friends who were hanging out. There were some groups of women there who I think were friends of the dancers, some of whom were straight and everybody got along great and famously. There were no bachelorette parties. Nobody was out of control except for one drunk dude who got yelled at actually got yelled at by the announcer and told to put his shirt on and calm the fuck down. But women are welcome I think in those bars in Portland where men take off their clothes because I've been to them and I have seen lots of women and everybody gets along like a house on fucking fire. So your friend must have really been pushing the envelope. And again, ladies, the fact that you are the bachelorette doesn't make everybody else on earth, certainly not all the gay men you do not know who are in a gay club, extras in your drama. And if you treat people like that, they're going to push back. Hi, Dan. I'm in a relationship quandary and I need your help. Um, so what's going on is I am 21. My girlfriend is 23 and we run into a bit of a hitch. Uh, she has a medical condition which makes it really painful for her to have intercourse. We've tried going to a doctor. We've tried you know, different types of therapy and so far none of it has worked. Um, so we've basically had no sex for a couple of years now. The hard part of running into it, as you can probably guess, is that you know, the no sex thing really isn't working for me. And I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because on one hand, I, I could deal with the not having sex if there were other things going on. Like I've suggested using toys or um, you know trying different positions, trying anal, trying pegging, trying anything you know, that doesn't involve penetrative sex on her part to make things a little bit more interesting. So far, she's shot most of it down. And I, I'm not really sure why. She doesn't really give a reason when she does. But I think she's just either nervous or scared of it or I don't know. I don't really have an outlet anywhere there. there. And so I thought, well, you know, if that didn't work, you know, I'm getting kind of desperate here. Just an open relationship suggested, you know, Maybe trying different things with other people, you know, swinging, that kind of stuff. And not only did that get shot down, but she was actually quite upset about me even just suggesting it. So I'm kind of stuck because, you know, can't really have sex with her, can't really have, uh, try the things that I want to try, can't really have that outlet through somebody else. But I'm stuck because if it wasn't for the sex, our relationship would be perfect. Like she's this really loving, wonderful person. And if it just wasn't for that one little bit, I would be really, really happy. If it wasn't for that one little inconsequential bit, if it wasn't for the sex or the complete lack of sex, this relationship would be perfect. If not for this trifling doesn't matter really to anybody. People should be able to take it or leave it thing called sex, which matters very much to people and people cannot take or leave. That most people, the 99% of human beings who are not asexual, want desperately, are wired to want desperately, feel terrible and deprived and depressed when they don't have some access to it occasionally. Two years is a long time to be in a sexless relationship when you are 20 fucking one years old. I feel for your girlfriend. I think it's sad that she has a medical condition that makes penetrative sex painful for her. I would urge her to get her butt to the National Vulvodynia Association, V-U-L-V-O-D-Y-N-I-A, 
get to their website, do some reading about them, pick up Debbie Herbenick's books about the vagina and read about vaginal pain. Debbie, Dr. Debbie Herbenick, she's a frequent guest on the show. She's a terrific sex researcher and writer and educator uh, and she's written a lot about these sorts of problems your girlfriend is having. You say you've been to doctors. You say you've tried. Maybe it's unsolvable in your girlfriend's case. And if that's true, then accommodations have to be made, realistic accommodations. If she wants to be with you, then she needs to allow you to pursue sexual outlets elsewhere. It is at two years in, ultimatum time. You have a right. You are not the bad guy if you end this relationship because of the lack of any sexual outlet release, no masturbation, not even that. You can't roll around. You can't play. You can't be intimate sexually at all. She shoots everything down. She must be so scarred from that pain that she's experienced, so, so psychologically traumatized that any sex is repulsive to her and she needs to get her ass to a therapist and work on that and think about outer course and non-penetrative sexual intimacy that would allow your relationship to continue. And if she can't do that, she needs to keep, give you permission to seek release elsewhere, to seek sex partners elsewhere and still be there for her romantically and as her intimate partner and her loving companion. So long as you get to do what you need to do on the side. You can stay with her, get sex elsewhere. You are not a bad guy if you end this relationship because sexually you are incompatible because sexually it doesn't work. You can be friends forever. You can shrug your shoulders and both acknowledge that this is just a tragic circumstance beyond either of your control that led to the end of what was an otherwise wonderful relationship. But without sex being a part of it, particularly at your ages, it was never going to work. It's legit. It is a legit reason to end a relationship, to end a sexual relationship, a romantic relationship. There's a way that she can have you, which is have you and give you permission to seek sex elsewhere, perhaps discreetly so as to protect her feelings so you guys can continue to be perceived as socially monogamous. But she can't ask you to go without sex. You're 21 years old. What is the life expectancy for males now? 74? She can't ask you to go without sex for 53 years. When I put it that way, I hope that's sobering. You're worried like a lot of guys and women. I hear from women all the time who are in the same circumstance. I hear from women all the time who have really high libidos or average libidos who are with guys who have no libido and no interest in sex whatsoever. And you, they worry that if they end the relationship and guys like you worry if they end the relationship, people will think that they're the bad guy. Because you ended it over sex and that's just the sex negativity that sloshes around the culture talking. That sex shouldn't be important to us. That it shouldn't matter in a relationship. What should matter is the love and the companionship. Yeah, and sex fucking matters too. That's why we have relationships for the most part. We fall in romantic and sexual love with someone else. And so it is legit. You are not the bad guy if you end this over something as important as the great big little thing. That is sex. Hello, Dan Savage. I have a call in regards to my boyfriend. I'm a straight 23-year-old female. We have been together for two years this upcoming month. And last night we had a discussion and it led to tears with him. And he doesn't cry very often. So you know it's a big deal. It's been going on since we started dating, but now it has become the time to deal with it. My boyfriend's parents are Jehovah Witnesses, and they kicked him out when he was 18 years old because 
they had converted and told him that he was either to convert or to leave. And he, of course, as an 18-year-old boy, said, you know, I'm not going to convert to that. Well, it leaves him very isolated with his family, and they don't talk. And, of course, they can't celebrate Christmas and his birthday. No one says happy birthday to him from his family. And it really hurts his feelings every time a holiday comes around or just in general or when we hang around my parents. He tells me all the time how he wishes he could have the same kind of relationship that I have with my parents. I told him last night that there has to be a point where you move on with your feelings. And they chose to believe in what they believe in and decided to, I guess, leave him behind. I don't really know what exactly to say to him to help him get over it, but he really needs to. He needs to be able to move on with his life because he holds so much anger about his parents kicking him out and about how not having his parents around. Um, I just would really like to help him. He's an amazing person inside and out, but there's so much anger about this. Calls like yours always make me think of Steven Weinberg, who is the American theoretical physicist and Nobel laureate for physics, who famously said, with or without religion, good people can behave well and bad people can do evil. But for good people to do evil, that takes religion. Every time I hear a story like this where a religious family has brutalized, terrorized and rejected a child uh, for religious reasons, almost always it's a queer kid, a gay, lesbian, bi or trans kid. But not always, not every time as in the case with your boyfriend who is straight and has been brutalized emotionally and spiritually by his asshole family and it took religion to get parents to turn on and throw out a teenager – a child still really in our culture, still a child, high school senior age, that takes religion, that kind of assholery. For someone to spew forth that kind of poison, for someone to damage their own child like that, that took a lifetime of religious programming. It's sad and it's tragic and it's not your responsibility to fix it. Your boyfriend needs to fix it. What I think you should say to him is, look – what your parents did to you was terrible. Your anger is understandable. You need to get a handle on it. You need to work through it or you're giving your parents the power to continue to harm you, to continue to damage you and your life because the anger you feel for them is interfering in your ability to have a relationship with me. And so you need to get past it. Yes, I understand that you look at the relationship I have with my family and you're jealous and, and you can be jealous but you can also be jealous and not angry and not – Take it out on me. So here's what you say to him. I love you. I'm going to stand by you. You need to get into therapy. You need to get a counselor. You need to work on this. You need to work on this shit and you need to solve it and do it to defy your parents and then do what so many other people who have been rejected by their families of origin have done, which is get the fuck out there and find new family. Find new people that you can bring into your life who can play that role, who can be your mom and dad. As I've said before on the show, be – Go find your Judy Savage. My mother wound up being a mother to so many kids who'd had terrible parents who rejected them and she stepped in and became mom to them. He can find new and better parents. As Armistead Maupin said, there's your biological family and then there's your logical family. His anger at his biological family is interfering with his ability to find and love and be loved by his logical family members and you can be one of his logical family members. 
once he gets healthy, once he gets past this, or if he is working on getting healthy, if he is working on getting past this, you can be the incentive that gets him into therapy, gets him into counseling and gets him to purge his anger and learn how to direct it where it belongs, which is at his mom and dad, not at you for still having a mom and dad. We're going to be getting back to your calls in just a second. But first, I really got to talk about something that happened um, Monday, just yesterday, before we recorded this show. This is a big fucking deal. Monday, yesterday, the first professional male athlete in the NBA, the NFL, what are the other ones, Major League Baseball or whatever you call the Hockey League, the big four they call those, the first male athlete in one of the big four professional leagues came out as gay. NBA center Jason Collins in an issue of Sports Illustrated on the cover. Uh, he wrote the story and it begins with, I am a 34-year-old NBA center. I am black and I'm gay. I didn't set out to be the first openly gay athlete playing in a major American team sport. But since I am, I'm happy to start the conversation. It's an amazing piece and you should go read it. And I apologize for fucking my first tweet up about it. I said, first professional athlete to come out. And when I was actually the first professional male athlete in the big four to come out. There are plenty of female athletes who are out in the WNBA. Martina Navratilova going back to the height of her career in tennis. She's been out forever. Billie Jean King. David Copay came out in the 70s. He was a professional football player with the Washington Redskins for seven years. He came out after his career was over. John Amici, who was a professional basketball player in the NBA, he came out after he retired. There have been football players who come out after they've retired. But – Jason Collins is the first male athlete in one of the big four team sports who's come out while he is still playing basketball professionally for the Washington Wizards. The reaction has been amazing. Bill Clinton is tweeting about it. Um, Russell Simmons is tweeting his support for Jason Collins. But this is, as I said, a big fucking deal. Pro sports, WNBA, Major League Baseball, hockey – Football is sort of the last bastion of a concept of masculinity that excludes gay men from that concept of masculinity. And this is going to change the way we view gay men as more athletes, pro athletes come out while they are playing the game, whatever game it is that they are playing. On the same day that Jason Collins came out as gay, the New York Jets released Tim Tebow, cut him from their squad for being a sucky football player. These things are not related. I just want to mention them close together because I am an asshole. This is just one of those changes that if you're a gay person of a certain age is kind of making your head spin. That the person who sits in the Oval Office is for gay marriage and gay equality. That a majority of the US Senate supports marriage equality. That more and more congressional reps support marriage equality. That a tenth state through the legislature enacted marriage equality last week. That we have openly gay marines – Sailors, Air Force pilots and now professional basketball players, professional male basketball players, these changes, this sea change in the culture uh, can leave you feeling – give you a real sense of vertigo, can make your head spin. Things are changing so quickly and so for the better. 
And so I want to thank Jason Collins who because he's not a Broadway star or a porn actor I hadn't heard of until he came out because I don't follow the NBA. But there are lots of queer kids out there who do and there are lots of straight kids out there who do. And they need to see that a gay guy, if he can play, can play. And Jason Collins is an activist now, whether he likes it or not. Maternia Navratilova tweeted that to him. Welcome to activism, Jason. And he's also going to be a role model and he's a groundbreaker. We've all been looking around saying who will be the gay Jackie Robinson and now we have met him and he is, as he wrote, a black gay man. Back to your calls. Hey, Ben. My question for you is what do you do when your serious girlfriend of two years is deeply infatuated with another man? I'm a man in my late 20s in a long-distance relationship with a woman in her early 20s. She lives overseas. That's where we met while I was working abroad. When I left, our plan was to get her a visa, fly her over here, and have her move in with me. And it was working out great. She got the visa, bought a plane ticket for this June, and was really eager to come here. Uh, so we were both really happy. But then a couple weeks ago, I started noticing on Skype she was acting sad and distant, so I asked her about it, and she admitted she was infatuated with this other guy. Uh, we both know him, and I warned her about him before I saw something like this coming. So I freaked out when I heard about it. My pride was really hurt, but I've calmed down a little since then because, you know, it's not like she cheated. Plus, she also said she doesn't want to tell him or pursue anything with him. She's stopped talking to him. She said she still wants to move in with me and still loves me. But I'm wondering how much she can still love me if this infatuation with someone else is distracting her. So my question is, should we still try and bring together? Will she be able to get over this other guy? Because her feelings for him seem pretty strong, frankly. I love her, but is this relationship doomed? Should I just end it now and save myself the pain later? You can be in love with somebody and have a crush on somebody else. Those aren't mutually exclusive phenomena, right? You can, have, you can love more than one sibling. You can love more than one parent. And yet we tell people you can't sort of be in love with or crushed out on more than one romantic partner. And it's, it's not true and everybody knows it, right? You've been with your girlfriend for two years, you said, right? Yeah. And in that time, have you ever had a little like crush that you've kind of had to put the lid on or snuff out for somebody else? I mean, uh, sure. But based on what she told me, I have a feeling it's deeper than a crush. Okay. Well, sometimes crushes can be intense. I think it was the problem – the problem may be here that she told you. Usually you don't want to you know, torment your partner or somebody that you profess to love with the you know, mental images of the, you being crushed out on somebody. You know, if you're not in an open relationship, if you're not polyamorous, you just stifle that and you don't say anything to your partner because you don't want to make them feel insecure. Right? So even though everybody should know that you can be crushed out married, with somebody, love them, committed to them and have a crush on somebody else, you don't always run to your partner and say, oh, by the way, I love you. I have a crush on somebody else. I'm working to smother that but ooh, right now I have a crush. Particularly when it's long distance, that can be an acute torment. Um, all that yeah. said, the wild card here is that she lives abroad, that she's getting a visa, that she's moving to the States to be with you and once she gets here, she's going to be really dependent on you. Right? So my advice to you would be to go where she is if at all possible and see her face to face and see if the spark is still there, see if your connection is still there, see if her feelings have changed for you, if yours have changed for her, see if being physically together in the same place reignites 
for the two of you, the passion and the bond that may have been weakened by distance and separation and distraction. And if all of that is still there, maybe she should come. But I don't think that she should come and join you without you verifying before she arrives and is dependent on you and then extricating yourself from it if it is coming apart is impossible or really difficult and protracted. You need to go there first and see her. Okay. Because um, the problem is it's probably not possible. Okay. Well, then it d- depends on what kind of a chance you're willing to take for love. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm willing to take it. Once she comes here, we'll have a trial period. And then she can go back if it's not going to work out. Yeah, I don't. I don't really see any other option. Okay. Well, it depends on what kind of a chance you're willing to take. That this other guy you feel threatened by, and you you know him personally, or you've met him or interacted with him when you were abroad. Yeah. Um. I don't feel threatened by him much anymore. I mean, she's. Mm, very good about all this like she stopped talking to him mm-hmm. um and he's left town okay apparently you know for indefinitely so i mean i'm okay as far as that goes i mean as far as you know to the degree that i'm still insecure it just has to do with her feelings not anything that might happen well that seems to be the sort of problem that can only be sorted out once you're together that only when you're in the same place will you be able to ascertain if you still feel as strongly about her and she still feels as strongly about you as you did when you fell in love, when you were together and started making these yeah. plans. But I wouldn't – if I were, I would really encourage you not to regard her in your absence or even in your presence. You know, If you're in an LTR, you will one day see your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, whoever you are. You will one day see them kind of – crushing out on a new coworker, on some barista, on a waiter, on somebody who comes into your orbit, you know, on the partner of a friend, and you kind of have to not despair when that happens because that is going to happen. The the question and what you should be looking to is how your partner processes those feelings, and that's a measure of their commitment and their devotion and their love for you. You know, if they may enjoy the crush, they may enjoy a little bit of the attention, but if they're working at Ending it, at sloughing it off, at not throwing logs on that fire, not making sure they're constantly around that person, not betraying you by having an emotional affair or laying out a welcome mat and inviting a pass, then your partner is doing right by you when they're experiencing a crush on someone else. And if she you know, told you these things and if I were advising her, I would have told her not to tell you these things because of the distance and the insecurity that it would likely provoke as it did. But she confessed. She told you. She worked to stifle it. Now he's out of the picture. Let her come. Yeah. Let her come. If you can't go see her first, let her come over. But you don't don't look at her having a crush and say, "Oh, this is proof she doesn't love me and it's not going to work out." Because you know what? If it does work out and you guys are together for decades, she's going to have other crushes on other people, and so are you. Sure. That is something that touches every long-term committed relationship, in turn. You will have – you will want to fuck other people. You will develop crushes on other people. You will meet other people that if you weren't with your partner, you would be with them because you're that simpatico. You you know, you get along that well and you look at them and go, yeah, if I weren't with someone, I could see myself with you. And you can't be threatened when your partner has those experiences because you don't want your partner to feel threatened when you have those experiences. 
Right, I know. Um, I guess my just my one question is though, how long does it take to get over something like that? For you or for her? For her. Um, you know, for either of us, since we're both going to be having these feelings for other people. Does she have to get over it? Can she not carry a, a soft spot in her heart all her life for this guy who, if you hadn't been there, if she hadn't loved you more, if she hadn't picked you over him, she might have possibly been with? I think I had a boyfriend a million years ago that I still think back and think, you know, I, it could have been him. He could have been the guy I wound up with all my life. I still really feel a certain strong affection for him and a kind of nostalgia for him sometimes. But it doesn't negate my love for Terry. I don't talk about it with Terry. Terry, if you're listening to the podcast, I apologize because, you know, that wouldn't – that would make him uncomfortable and who wants to hear that from their partner, right? I guess as long as that's all it is, it's just a soft spot and not her regretting having come here to be with me and, and uh, you know, go back to – like the only thing preventing her is just not having another chance. Well, you never know. That's the uncertainty you have to live with. You never know what your partner – ultimately, you cannot know another person inside and out. You cannot know their every motivation, every feeling. People have regrets. Um, and then those you know, regrets can roll in and out like a tide and sometimes you regret the choice you didn't make. Um, never listen to Follies by Stephen Sondheim. I think it would be a particular torment to you where you're at right now. Um, you know, you look at the road you didn't take and you think, uh, you know, and then you have the grass is always greener syndrome. When, you know, if you guys build a life together, there will be stresses, there will be strains, there will be pain, there will be conflict. And then you look back at some girl you're not with or she looks back on some guy she's not with and think, oh, life with him would have been perfect. No, life with him or her for you would have involved as much pain, stress, conflict as it does with the person you end up with as a partner – and you just have to accept her love and suspend your disbelief a little bit. And it may be good for you to learn how to suspend your disbelief. You may be the kind of person who has that insecurity where knowing your partner has a crush on somebody else is just too destabilizing emotionally. And if you guys end up together, you should tell her that. You know, if this ever happens again, don't fucking tell me because it's a nightmare for me to think about. So don't tell me. I know you might have crushes going in the future someday. I might too. I'm not going to tell you. You don't tell me because it just – because I, I can't handle it because it just makes me squirrely. So the loving thing to do for me next time if this should ever happen again is don't fucking tell me. Stifle it. Send the person away. Get them out of your orbit. Don't fucking tell me. That's how you can prove that you love me. But there's always going to be regrets in a long-term relationship. You're young. There will, there will be regrets. You know, At some point, you're with somebody 20 years and you look back and think, I could have been with somebody else. You will think that too. And then all the good things that are about your relationship with the person you are with, you have to focus on those. You have to think about those. Sometimes they just wash over you and wash all your regrets away and then you have a big fight and your regrets come back and you bat them down. That's the effort that is required to sustain a long-term relationship. Not to be consumed by regrets and choices you could have made, other choices you could have made and to be aware of the grass is always greener syndrome and somebody that – isn't your partner is going to seem perfect because you don't have to smell their farts. Yeah. And let them love you and love them in return. Like at some point, it's not just an emotion that washes over you, love. At some point, it's an action that you take. There's the willful suspension of disbelief, the, the willful act of deciding to still love in the face sometimes of betrayal that you have to forgive. Yeah. Good luck, dude. I wish you could go there and see her because I think you're going to know the answer and you're going to know the right answer when you guys are in the same room together again. Whether it's yes or no, yeah. Good luck. Hi, 
Megan. I am a 26-year-old straight female. Um, I'm in a great relationship. We're very sexually adventurous, but there is a slight problem that we've run into. My boyfriend is very into anal play, and that's something that's always made me a bit skittish because my first and only experience prior to him was with a guy who, in the middle of sex, just kind of decided it was time for anal sex and didn't ask and wouldn't stop when I asked him to. So, at the beginning of our relationship with my current boyfriend, we slowly started um, working our way up, playing around down there, etc. And it was fine until one night when we were um, in the middle of sex and he pulled out and was playing around down there and I guess I thought we were just going along with what we'd been doing, and he thought it was my vagina, and then I got skewered. Um, So, as a result, any kind of ass play down there has kind of made me clench up ever since, and I want to be open to anal play, but I'm not sure how to start again, so I was wondering if you might have any tips for getting over um, this horrible psychological association of of ass play and pain, or if I should just kind of accept that perhaps anal play is not for me. I am a faggot. I have had butt sex in my day. Never in my life have I accidentally or suddenly skewered someone's ass. That's almost an impossible thing to do, to thrust into someone and go up their butt requires a degree of precision placement and violence that makes me just not believe that this was an accident. I don't think you can accidentally fuck somebody in the ass. I don't think you pull out of someone's vagina and pop into their asshole. It just is not a thing that a person can do by accident. I think that this was intentional and I believe – that there should be, particularly in your life, a one-strike-you're-out policy or a one-accidental, in quotes, ass-skewering-and-you're-out policy. I think you should dump this motherfucker for that, for that infraction. I I think that rises to the level of boyfriend impeachment. That is a relationship extinction-level event. That is a meteorite hitting your relationship and a nuclear winter and it's over. I don't think you stay with somebody who accidentally fucks you in the ass when he's been pressing you for anal sex and he knows that you were violated anally in a previous relationship and you have tension and pain and he just goes for it anyway. Uh, Show that motherfucker the door and find a boyfriend who is loving and considerate and patient who either isn't into anal at all and then you don't have to worry about it and there are guys out there who aren't or who can live without it if you can't get there or who may – be the right guy for you to explore anal pleasure with. I would urge you, if you're at all curious about opening your ass up to play, to read Tristan Taramino's The Ultimate Guide to Anal Sex for Women. It's a terrific book. It's actually a terrific book for men too. It's particularly a terrific book for men who want to fuck women in their asses. And you can learn more about it and maybe relax about it and, and see how you can get to anal play without pain. Not that you have to. You only have to get to anal sex without pain if you want to. And if you don't want to, this is something that doesn't work for you and you never want to do. You really don't ever have to do it. And I wouldn't go to bed with a guy who had done to me what your boyfriend did to you 
for fear that he would just do that again or try that again and then play the, oh, I slipped and fucked your ass card again. Just don't believe that. I fuck butts. I had my butt fucked. I've also slept with women. It's really kind of hard to mistake an anus for a vagina. I've been down there. It's different, traumatizingly so for someone like me. Horrifyingly different. Sorry, it just is. I'm getting a, the stink eye. Not the brown eye, the stink eye. From one of the uh, vagina having tech savvy at risk youth. That is a cross I will have to bear. It's not horrifying down there because vaginas are objectively horrifying. It's horrifying down there for a gay guy who shouldn't be down there in the first place. Seafood isn't horrifying, but it's horrifying to people who don't like seafood. Did it fix everything? <laughs> the techs every at-risk youth have assured me that that previous analogy fixed everything. I prepared whatever damage I might have done with my vagina having listenership by bringing up clams with linguine or paella as a comparison, as a, you know, point of comparison. Listen, dump this motherfucker for accidentally fucking your ass and find a boyfriend who isn't into ass and they're out there or find a boyfriend who wants his ass pegged or wants to explore anal and please pick up and read. If you're interested, you don't have to. This is not a requirement. It is an elective. It is an elective anal for everyone, not even gay guys. 25% of gay guys don't have anal sex. Anal sex is an elective, not a course requirement. You can read Tristan Tarmino's book. You can think about it. You can explore. But you need to explore with someone you can trust. And your boyfriend, when he accidentally fucked your ass, proved that he cannot be trusted down there with his dick. So don't let him down there with his dick. Show him and his dick the door. Hi, Dan. I am a 25-year-old male in Alabama, and I'm gay. And my question is, I do drag, but it's not a huge part of my life. A lot of guys think that they would never date a drag queen. And I understand that I should be proud of who I am. But when you're trying to date somebody new, when is the best time for me to, to tell them about this? Because I have had people in the past, as soon as they find out, it's a no-go and that's the last I hear from them. I would think about doing it like quitting for the right guy. But in the meantime, I don't want to give up something that I like to do. I don't do it on a very regular basis, but I have, and I have the opportunity to do that. So if you could just help me out with some advice, it'd be greatly appreciated. I was just saying to a friend the other day, he asked to see some pictures of me in drag. Cause I used to do drag back in the day. I did a lot of drag. And we were talking about drag and we were kind of talking about the collapse of drag really until RuPaul's Drag Race came along and revived drag. Drag had sort of kind of fallen apart because the stigma in places like Seattle and Chicago and New York and San Francisco that used to attach to guys who did drag kind of evaporated in the mid-90s. There used to be a barrier to entry to drag. You really had to want to do drag to do drag. Guys who were just mildly curious about drag didn't do drag. And not only did you really have to want to do drag, you kind of had to be good at it and funny to do drag. So there were multiple barriers to entry. And then the 90s, mid-90s, there's this drag boom and suddenly everybody, every other guy was a drag queen, was doing drag sometimes. Uh, sort of like the burlesque thing now where – any woman who can get her hands on a Hello Dolly dress and a couple of satin opera-length gloves is a burlesque artist. 
There was a moment in the mid-90s where every fag who could buy himself a dress was a drag queen. It kind of cheapened the coin of the drag realm for a while. So I was saying to my friend, you know, I kind of stopped doing drag when so many people started doing drag that it was meaningless then to do drag. It wasn't a statement. It wasn't anything. Uh, it's interesting that you're in Alabama because I think perhaps the stigma lives in Alabama. There was a time when guys wouldn't date a guy who did drag. In places like Seattle and, and or Portland, Oregon, Chicago, Atlanta, really I think those days are over. But maybe in Alabama – the stigma survives in hollows and pockets. So what do you do about it with that stigma? Well, I don't think you give it up. If drag is important to you, if it's something that speaks to your soul and you really want to do, you should do it. And if it repels guys, then fuck those guys. They're not the right guy for you. Any guy who isn't into you, not doesn't want to fuck you when you do drag. I never had sex when I drag. But doesn't sort of love and appreciate every facet of your character and the things that can't take pleasure in the things that you enjoy. Terry, when I met him, I was still doing drag, had never dated a drag queen, said he would never date a drag queen, dated a fucking drag queen because he liked me enough that he reconsidered his like hang up about being with somebody who was known to do drag. You could meet that guy too who would never date a drag queen, meets you, likes you well enough, he reconsiders. Maybe, I don't know, maybe back when I was single and doing drag, I missed opportunities with guys because I was known to do drag. I'd don't miss those guys because I've got my guy and I don't give a shit. If somebody doesn't want to be with me, then I don't want to be with them. And that's the attitude you should take. You should be strong about it. Look to the queens on RuPaul's Drag Race and be strong about it. Jinx has a boyfriend. Jinx Monsoon. Seattle's girl. We're rooting for her. We hope she wins. Alaska's got a boyfriend. Those queens got boyfriends. You can have a boyfriend too. Just be yourself and hold out till you find a boyfriend who wants you for you, and you do drag. Hi, Dan. I have a thank you and a question. First, a bit about me. I am a 27-year-old gay guy. I came out to myself four years ago when I started grad school, and I came out to my parents three years ago. My parents are conservative evangelical types, and they still hold on to the idea that homosexuality is sinful and so on. They've taken the nice bigot approach, though. They still invite me home for the holidays and pay for my airfare. They insist that we talk on the phone once a week, and sometimes they'll even say they want to respect our differences and listen to my perspective. The thing is, our conversations still get heated sometimes. They still lecture me on religion. I feel like they are excessively critical and emotionally manipulative, and I come away from spending time with them feeling drained, depressed, and fed up. Here's my thank you. I started listening to your podcast just over a year ago, and I've heard you tell young gays and lesbians coming out to conservative parents that they should give their parents some time to freak out, and then they should demand better treatment or else spend less time with their families. Your advice has helped me take a hard look at my own relationship with my parents and decide it's time to stand up for myself and set some boundaries, like maybe talking on the phone list often. Thanks for helping me see it's okay to want some space from them. Here's my question, though. My parents haven't been completely horrible. They've made some decent efforts to keep me in the family. How do I tell them to back off without becoming the bad guy? Or is being the bad guy in their eyes something I'll just have to live with? Is there a way for me to spend less time with them while still showing them that I do care about them? I often talk about the fact when I came out to my mother and father that I was coming out to some very religious people. My dad was a Catholic deacon. My mom was a Catholic lay minister. We had a cardinal in our house once for dinner. There were priests everywhere you looked in our house. And 
except under our my parents' children's beds because we didn't have any of those kinds of priests creeping around the house. Uh, and, and sometimes I think that I'm a little out of my element when I have to talk to people, particularly people today, about coming out to fundamentalist, born-again Christian parents because that's a different brand of religiosity, a different brand of crazy, uh, if I may use that word. And I may because it's my fucking podcast. I use any fucking word I want to use. Um, so I'm not going to tackle your question alone, caller. I uh, have somebody on the phone who's going to help me answer your question is a little more familiar, I think, with the kinds of parents that you have uh, than I am. Aaron Hartzler is a writer and an actor. He recently wrote a really terrific piece for Salon called Honey, We're Praying for You about his relationship with his fundamentalist Christian parents. He's also the author of a new memoir from Little Brown called Rapture Practice about his experiences growing up gay in a fundamentalist born-again family. And he joins me by phone from his home in Palm Springs. Hey, Aaron, thanks for jumping on the phone. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. So one of the things I really liked about your piece, there was a, something you said in the piece that, that jumped out at me, the piece you wrote for Salon. I haven't had a chance to read Rapture Practice yet, but I am going to, was that tolerance is a two-way street or, or, or unconditional love is a two-way street, I think is what you wrote, that your parents um, are still born-again fundamentalist Christians. They still get up in your face uh, and, and condemn and uh, disapprove of you for being gay, for being who you are. And yet you still have a relationship with your parents to a degree. How does that work? How, how, do you, how do you have your parents be a part of your life without walking away from those interactions like the caller says, feeling drained and depressed? Well, yeah, I mean, I like to say that just because unconditional love is a two-way street, and I believe that, that if I'm asking to be loved unconditionally, I need to be willing to love other people unconditionally. Uh, but just because it's a two-way street doesn't mean that I lay down in the middle on the dotted yellow line and allow my parents' crazy dogma to, you know, run an 18-wheeler over my head. Uh, there are guardrails very firmly in place. And, you know, the caller mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, thanking you for giving him the options to say, no, you, you have to treat me better or I'm going to limit the time I spend to you, spend with you. And, um, you know, I've certainly done that with my parents, um, but it's tricky uh, you know, even though I text more than I call or email more than I call, I send flowers instead of, you know, going to every birthday or every anniversary. You know, recently, my sister sent a text to all of us trying to, and the oldest of five, trying to get us all together for um, their anniversary this summer and, you know, go on a little vacation. But my spouse and my youngest brother, who's also gay, his spouse are not invited. And, you know, we both said, oh, well, no, you know, I don't go on vacation without my husband. You love your parents unconditionally, but you don't allow them to separate you from your partner. You don't betray your family uh, that you've created. Uh, Correct. On behalf of, to, to cater to your, the prejudices of your family of origin. Exactly. I think it's really important to, and to this point about feeling like the bad guy, I feel like it's really important to distinguish what are my feelings and what are my parents' feelings. And I still struggle with this, you know, even after all these years of dealing with it. And, you know, I've been out to them since I was, the first time I came out to them, I was 19. Um, wait, and wait, the first time you came out to them, you had to do it twice? It, it, I've had to do it every, about every other year or so, I have to remind them. You know, when being gay is a sin that Jesus can fix and we can just pray and one day he'll bring you back to the fold, it, you know, hope springs eternal, and the denial... And by fold, they mean labial folds, correct? Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like to call it the penis-shaped temptation update. <laughs> um, the, 
you know, so so it's kind of an it's been an ongoing process for me. But but when I struggle with that feeling, like oh, I'm you know, boy, I wish I could be there, you know, because I love these people and. I feel like the bad guy. I, I stop myself now and I say, hang on a minute. And sometimes I will actually out loud like a crazy person driving down the road, actually review the facts on the ground. I'm really happy with who I am as a gay man. I'm really happy that I came out. I think I'm a pretty great person. I have a really loving community of friends and family that I have built for myself. Um, and I'm not feeling like a bad guy. They're feeling like I'm a bad guy. So it's that individuation emotionally that's really important Um to, to get straight, and I would encourage this caller to, you know, talk himself through it. Uh, you know, I like to tell people I am a known and enthusiastic homosexual. I don't feel bad about that. But let's drill um, down quickly into how you manage your relationship with your family, who do judge, sure. do condemn, do, if you allow them, um, disparage your relationship, insult you, basically, by inviting you on this vacation to celebrate your parents' anniversary, but you can't bring your husband or your partner. Right. Um, how what what is your contact with them like? How do you limit it? How do you wall off, you know, your self esteem and your sense of self and, and protect yourself from their judgment and and the harm sure. that that can that can inflict, even on an adult child. Yep, and and that harm is very real. Um, so this is what I do. I limit. Um, I try not to spend the night at their house. When I go to see my youngest sister graduate from high school next month, my um, brother and I are going to get a hotel room uh, nearby. I make sure that if I do spend the night, I try to keep um, limits on what the conversation is. And I've gotten really good about putting my hand on my dad's shoulder and saying, Dad, I love you, but I can't let you talk to me like that. Dad, I love you, but this part of Revelation you're quoting sounds like science fiction to me. And in, you know, my dad does this thing that my younger brother likes to call the train station ambush. They live right outside New York in New Jersey. And so when I fly in, I fly into New York, we take the train out to see them. And my dad likes to do this thing where he, he'll just miss the train you think you're going to take back to the city. So he has you trapped in the car for 20 minutes while you wait for the next one. And, um, that happened to me in February. And I just, I, I was able to stop him mid sentence and just say, you know, dad, I love you. And I have room in my worldview for you and mom and this crazy stuff that you believe. And what I'm asking you is to make room in your worldview for me and my partner and for my younger brother and his husband. And it's that consistent, um, pushback, kind, but firm messaging that and pushback shows them how to treat you. Right. This, you know, it's not just this guy saying they take the nice bigot approach uh, but what it sounds like is they're being just kind enough to get him close enough that they can punch him in the face. Exactly. And that's, that is something that you have to be really aware of because the kindness is really, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. The, that kindness is meant to, you know, bring him back to their way of thinking. And that's not, that, that's not something that I'm willing to put my person through very often or very consistently. But when you say then that you love your parents unconditionally, you do place conditions on their conduct when they're with you on when and where and how you'll see them and for how long and under what circumstances that you have conditions. You, you love them unconditionally, but there are conditions that you've laid down about contact. Uh, there, there, I like to say that there are guidelines for behavior. I love them unconditionally, but uh, um, I cannot spend uh, as much time with them if they're going to behave in a certain way. So the message to the, call, the, message to the caller then is see these motherfuckers less and be clear about why. Yes, because 
by doing that, what happens is you take your self-esteem out of the marketplace of your family's opinion. You let your parents off the hook for your happiness, and you say to them, this is the way that you treat me. I'm going to treat myself with enough respect to show you the way to treat me. Let's quickly, uh, before we let you go, tell me about Rapture Practice. Tell us what it's about. Rapture Practice is about my young, basically my, my high school experiences growing up in a born-again Christian family in Kansas City, Missouri. I got kicked out of my Christian high school two weeks before graduation. Um, Why? And during, <laughs> I was caught drinking at a party um, with my best friend. Drinking who I was, cum? What did you, doesn't everybody in high school drink? <laughs> did, wait, wait, what were you caught? You were caught drinking? You got kicked out for, you were gay and in high school and you got caught, you got kicked out for beer? Not dick? I was. I was not I was not out and I was in love with my best friend and we were drinking beer at a party and uh got told on actually by somebody and um cuz you know when you say you know you were born in a fundamentalist christian family you went to this fundamentalist christian school and you got kicked out 2 weeks for graduation I thought that was for ass fucking that was just right. for budweiser if only if only it had been for ass fucking <laughs> um yeah, the the funny part of the story is that I'm really struggling during these teen years with like faith and Jesus coming back and this whole idea that I find increasingly hard to swallow. Uh, rimshot and uh, <laughs> rimshot. I, Rimshot's also <laughs> needs its own rimshot. It, it just keeps going. Um, but you know, towards the you know at at the end there, it really my sexual orientation becomes this brick wall against which the theology of my family kind of. It's, it's a head-on collision, mm-hmm. and I really have to face the fact that this is probably not going to work out for me the way that my family has always assumed that it will. It's um, called Rapture Practice. It's from Little Brown. Is it already out? Is it already available? It is out. It's in bookstores everywhere. Okay, and it's uh, a copy's on its way to me, and I am going to read it as soon as I get it. Aaron Hartzler, writer and actor. Look up his piece on Salon. Honey, we're praying for you, and go get his book, Rapture Practice. Thanks so much for jumping on the phone with us today, Aaron. Thanks a lot for having me, Dan. Hi, I'm calling in response to episode 339, the guy who's worried that his penis is small. I've had a lot of sex, and one of the best experiences I ever had was with a guy who had a small penis. And the reason he was so good is he paid attention to what was giving me pleasure, and he did that in a creative way. It wasn't just all about him pumping with a big cock. So I just want to encourage him to get out there and find a woman and get in bed and pay attention to what gives her pleasure. And then also, just as a side note, I'm a petite woman, and sometimes big cocks hurt. So maybe look maybe look for a petite-sized woman. Hi, I just listened to podcast 339, and I had to call in and say to the young woman who is in a relationship with mismatched libidos, you have to go now. I made the mistake of staying in a relationship just like that. When I heard your call, it was like hearing my younger self calling me. Just go. If you really do have an emotional connection with this person, then you have a better chance of having a lifelong friend. But the longer you stay, the more all of that unused sexual energy is going to get channeled into being angry and manipulative. Like, you might not think so, but it gets out of control, especially if, as you say, you're a sexual person and he's not really trying, which is the second thing. You speak about it as if it's your problem and you need to fix it. And if you're not with someone who recognizes that it's important and is working on it with you, then you don't have a functioning relationship. 
Hi, Dan. I love your show. I'm calling from the friendly Midwest. Regarding episode 339 and the woman with the fetish regarding sneezing, how about a simple solution to a simple problem? Namely, while she and her lover are getting going, he could easily snort some black pepper, mild amount, or while they're well underway, he could do the same. She's happy, and she describes him as GGG. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, please give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. American Savage, my new book, was just declared by Publishers Weekly to be one of the best summer reads of 2013. One of the 10 best summer reads of 2013. Uh, very happy about that. Very proud of the book. Please think about pre-ordering it now through Amazon or your local independent Bookseller, And we want to thank you, everyone here at the podcast, Nancy, me, the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, for being a subscriber to Savage Lovecast Magnum. Uh, we really appreciate your support. 206-201-2720, that's the number. Give us a call. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.